Hello and welcome to the Rob Burgess Show. I am, of course, your host, Rob Burgess. On this, our 58th episode, our guest is Ash Burgess. You first heard Ash Burgess on episodes 16, 26, 27, and 39 of the podcast. Ash Burgess has a dusty degree in religious studies, an obsession with pineapples, and an appetite for both high and low culture. She cuts her own hair, makes her own sourdough bread, and spends most of her time at home with her young son. Sometimes she blogs at burgessbaby.blogspot.com. And now on to the show. All right, so welcome back to the Rob Burgess Show, Ash Burgess. I'm, I'm guessing your audience is shocked that you were able to get me to come on here again. I know. So, yes. they're, they're picking their jaws up uh, off like, the floor as we yes. speak. We never thought she'd be on the show again. Mm-mm. How did he get access to her for, is this the third time? Or? Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. Yeah. This is, yeah, this is the fifth time. The, oh, it's not the fifth time. Yes, it is. Really? That's a lot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but I was thinking about it before we started talking, and we, last time you were on, we are just announcing that we had some big news, and now we're almost oh, yes. to another milestone. Yes, I mean, last time we had just, you know, announced our pregnancy, and now we're in the home stretch, you know, we're, in, in, we're deep into the third trimester, she's due at the end of this month, so mm-hmm. theoretically, you know, it could be any time, although she should really wait a few more weeks. She should definitely wait. I think it's the best idea. I think it's the best idea. <laughs> kind of the end of May, the best time to be born, some would say. You know? I would definitely say. Um, but yeah, let's uh, let's get right into it. You, uh, you had a boy last time. Yes. You're having a girl this time. Yes. You're preparing. Yes. How is it different between the two? Um, well, as far as preparing for a girl or preparing for a boy, I don't think there are any huge differences as far as what you actually need. I mean, baby gear-wise, which I'm the type of person that's really into baby gear. So, I mean, I really like, you know, reading about it and looking at blog posts and YouTube videos and stuff of, you know, newborn essentials and what do you need and... Everyone has a different idea of what's essential. You know, some people are very minimalist and, you know, like to say things like, oh, they just need diapers and a safe place to sleep. And technically that's true. You know, if we had diapers and some way of cleaning the baby and, you know, figured out where we want them to sleep and made it, you know, safe, that's really all you actually need in a car seat if you're going to the hospital for the birth, which we're doing. You know, you need a car seat or they won't let you leave to take the baby with you. But, yeah, those are all you actually need, but, I mean, I always kind of think it's bullshit when people say things like, oh, that's all you need, because that's so subjective. There's so many factors that go into what you need as far as, you know, what is your lifestyle, what makes you comfortable, who are you as a person. Some people need more to be comfortable, and some people are actually more comfortable having less. I think people are also from a time where they just didn't do as much, I feel like, and children weren't seen as quite as important. Well, I, I don't know. I like, also think babies, though, different babies need more or less, too. Like, our son was very, and I mean, I'm sure that everyone on the podcast can hear him. He's just wildly playing in the background here. It's very, very some very rough things. Are, I, can, I would describe for you what he's doing right now, but I don't even know if I can adequately describe it. There's there's a stuffed bird, and there's a small toddler basketball hoop, and... Yeah, he's been on of, every episode of the podcast. Yeah, so this people are this one, he may even be here more because, yes. you know, we're both occupied, so things, things are getting really wild around the house. Yes. But, I mean, but going back to what I was saying, though, I mean, our son as an infant was very intense in certain ways, and I think 
that has definitely informed my idea of what we need just based on what we needed with him, but some people may have not needed. And then also what I think we need this time based on our experiences of like, we were so uncomfortable, it would have been nice to have like a nicer chair and things like that, that might not be someone else's experience. Because I, I mean, some people, for example, before we had him, I think I had a much sort of looser view of what was necessary for a baby as far as like for breastfeeding. I kind of thought, oh, I, I had this very bohemian kind of free flowing kind of image of myself as just kind of like, I'll just feed him wherever I happen to be, you know, on the sofa, in the chair, outside, side lying on the bed and, you know, it'll just sort of happen. And so we didn't even buy like a special chair for breastfeeding ahead of time last time. And I, and, not, and I say breastfeeding, but I know bottle feeding people also will often benefit from, you know, some kind of a special seat. But last time we didn't even think we needed that because we just thought, oh, just on the sofa or wherever you happen to be. It's just so natural. It'll just be happening. And I'm sure that is some people's experience. But mm -hmm. for me, it was like I quickly realized that I was excruciatingly uncomfortable and I desperately needed you know, a chair with good back support and somewhere to rest my feet. So that's the kind of example, that's kind of what I mean when I say, you know, different people need different things. But, yeah. um, but going back to what we need now versus what we needed for a boy, I don't think that there are any big differences as far as what we need. There's differences as far as I'm excited to buy some kind of girly things that I didn't, you know, have for our son, like, you know, things and, you know, more pink things and more, you know, things with like floral patterns and unicorns and things like that, that I didn't really gravitate towards when we knew we were expecting a boy. Whereas this time expecting a girl, I've been kind of excited to explore some different things from like the different sections in the store, you know, as it were. <laughs> um. But, um, yeah, I just feel like it, the time has gone so fast, but I do feel like in a lot of ways we're more prepared this time than we were last time. Um, just going from no children to one child is, I, I think, a bigger uh, difference than going from one child to two children. Well, I think when you're childless, most of the time you're able to sort of meet your own needs as they arise. I mean, obviously, there are situations where, you know, you might be at work or something and then you have to, you know, do certain things that take priority over meeting your needs. But but even then, you would probably be able to just excuse yourself if you were really having an issue. Whereas I feel like, you know, once you have a young child, you really have to grow accustomed to the fact that someone else's needs are not only coming before yours, but also sometimes really preventing you from even addressing your needs and you really have to kind of redefine you know what level of un, you know discomfort you're willing to put up with and some of that has to do with though I think our experiences with the newborn because we had not the most intense newborn but I think definitely not the easiest I've seen a lot of other people with newborns that seem to be able to kind of do a little more whereas for us we had some struggles kind of in the beginning that you know made us really have to devote ourselves to his care in a way that really made us kind of sacrifice our own comfort. Mm -hmm. And when I say comfort, I just mean things like, you know, just basic, like, I'm in a super uncomfortable position. I would like to move, but I can't because, you know. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so things like that, I think you're, it's, it's hard to prepare for those things when you're childless. 
But then once you have a child, you know, you kind of understand that. And so I think it'll be easier having a newborn. And also, you know, all newborns are different, so we don't know what she'll be like. And I think we're also, I think, more prepared to address kind of troubleshooting that might arise. Because the first time, it's like you don't know what you're doing. And so things happen and you don't know, is this normal and should I get help with this? Or should I desperately try to fix this on my own for a couple months before I seek help? And then wonder, you know, if we'd gotten help for this issue, could we have had an easier experience all that time that we thought we were just kind of iron it out, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think in that way, you know, we're more prepared, I think, not only to address the issues that we've already, you know, encountered, so we kind of know what to do, but also I think we know how to more quickly deal with things that arise instead of just not knowing if things that are happening are a real problem or if we should just, you know they'll just pass on their own or whatever. Mm. So I think we're, I think we're better able to deal with things. So I think that's a big difference mm -hmm. coming into this time. How do you think our families have reacted? Our extended families have reacted to a second child over a first one. I mean, I think people have been excited overarchingly. I think that, um, people are a little bit less like, and some of this I'm sure has to do with, as we were just talking about, it's such a big change when you go from being childless to having a child. I feel like when we went from being childless to having a child, you know, people were like super excited and, you know, threw us baby showers and things like that, which were nice. And I know some families get that excited for every child, but I feel like a lot of people in our families have been sort of less feeling like they needed to put, I guess, that much effort into the, you know, excitement or whatever. Yeah. And I was kind of surprised to find out, and I guess I shouldn't pin this all on our families. It is kind of a cultural thing. Whereas, um, in the first time, uh, you know, it's traditional to have a baby shower. Whereas I didn't even know it wasn't traditional to have. I think it is for some people. Like I, I, I know some it's people more optional that overall, I think it's optional overall in the sense that I know for some people it's traditional like, there are people that I know that have a shower for every baby, and then there are people that I know that have a shower for the first one and then not afterwards. Or sometimes people will have, like, a lesser shower, like a sprinkle or, like, a diaper party or something. See, the but, word sprinkle offends me on a deep level. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's cute. I don't know. I mean... It's diminishing. It's, like... It is diminishing. It's because I mean, you weren't first, we don't, like... The rains don't fall as heavy as they used to. <laughs> like, come on. Like, well, I think still another person, you know. I think that there, I mean, I think there are multiple things to consider here. Because I think on the one hand, I think it is really unfortunate that people don't do as much for a second baby. In the sense that I think every baby should be celebrated equally. Because even though there might not be the first baby, it's still like this is a whole new person. Mm-hmm. I do think in a financial sense, if you can't really afford to do much for people, you might kind of scrape something together for the first baby, and then you're kind of hoping that that will be something they can just use for all their children. But as I know you wanted to talk about a little bit more, some things don't really live through more than one person. So that it's a nice idea, but it doesn't really work out. Yeah. Um, and we can talk about that more, because I know that was one thing you wanted to talk about mm -hmm. is like, what items we're reusing and what items have not, you know, made it. Yeah, but I mean, we have animals, so I think we've had a bit of a handicap. <laughs> I don't. I don't think our animals have really destroyed. Oh, destroyed. Our, okay, they destroyed that one. Really? Okay. I'm gonna be angry okay. about that forever. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. Our animals have destroyed two things that were really important. What was that? But 
Um, the breast pump tubing. Oh my. Yes. Like, so, yes. Our cat did bite through some breast pump yeah. tubing, which that wasn't as big of a deal in the sense that, um, you can get the tubing replaced. You don't have to replace the whole pump. And I also just hated that pump and wasn't having a lot of luck yeah. with it anyway. So it wasn't like the most crushing blow. It was just the principle I think it, of it. <laughs> I think it felt really personal when it happened because it mm-hmm. happened at a time where I was like struggling to pump more. And so that was already stressful and it was already, and it was, and it wasn't, and it was like the pump was already like not doing as well as I wanted it to. And I did suspect that pumping might be going better if I had a nicer pump, but I didn't have money for a nicer pump. And then, you know, when my cat kind of bit through some of the tubing, it was just, that felt really personal. And it was just, you know, it came at like a low point. So it was like upsetting, but ultimately not that big of a deal. If that pump hadn't been so awful, I probably would have just... Um, sent off for new tubing, but at that point I was about to give up anyway, so I was just like, okay, it's not happening. But the other thing was the chair that we ended up buying that they peed all over. But that's a perfect example, though, of something that's like, we cheaped out, because like I, as I think I already mentioned, I originally didn't think I needed a chair to sit in. I thought I would just kind of, you know, free flow to whatever seating arrangement I was in. And that totally didn't work at all. I'm sure part of that's probably because I had had a C-section, Part of it's just, you know, having to do with, you know, my own, you know, how I needed to position things to make feeding work, you know, little details about the situation. But the point being, we ended up having to kind of emergency purchase a chair. And so since, of course, it wasn't something we'd planned for, we got, you know, not a very nice one. And it sucked. But it was actually fine for a few months. Um... And then it just sort of progressively started to die, you know, it just kind of was falling apart. And then, so it was already in very bad shape. And then I think we were already like pretty unhappy with it at the point when the animals kind of. No, it wasn't like we like opened the cardboard box and would have leapt in and like all of the things before we even got it out of the packaging. It was definitely a low point. When we were feeling bad about its non-usability. And maybe the animals picked up on that and wanted to finish it off for us. You yeah. never know. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I mean, this time, you know, in case anyone's worried, you know, we have learned from our mistakes. This time we have, we've purchased a nicer chair and we've put it in a room that the animals are not allowed to go into. So and we have a new breast pump. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, so. things are, things are looking up this time. Yes. We're, you know, we more have. prepared. But going back to what we were saying about how, you invest in equipment if you think you're going to have subsequent children and that may or may not work out. Um, yeah, I think when you cheap out, you can't expect something to live for a long time. And even decently nice things, I think, are probably manufactured with them hoping this will maybe last through one child just so you don't get too angry. But then they're hoping it will kind of fall apart so that you'll have to buy another one. Mm-hmm. Um, like, we got a pretty modestly priced high chair that we ended up hating and it worked pretty well for most of the time that my son was using it. And then in the last couple months here, it's really gone downhill. So we've just gone ahead and gotten a new high chair that is nicer this time, which my son is now using. And then, um, I think the hope is that, you know, by the time he's done needing to use it, she'll be right at the age where the new baby will be starting to use it. Um, and hopefully since we went for the nicer version, we won't be hating it by then too. I, I'm 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 optimistic. It looks better than our old chair. Like it looks good, and it also just functions better. Like the other one was just at its best times. It was just very adequate. Mm-hmm. This one is like I'm a little more excited about it. So 
I'm optimistic that it's gonna, you know, it's gonna be good times from here on out. And mm -hmm. we have a few things like that that just naturally, you know, we used up just through the course of wear and tear with our son that have to be replaced. And there's a few things that we did make a good investment. Um, our car seat has not expired and it's in good shape and we weren't in any accidents or anything. So we have the baby car seat all squared away. So that's great. Um, the pack and play, we have that too. And we bought those things in kind of all very gender neutral, like gray and white and black, which those are just the colors that I like anyway. Mm -hmm. But also we did have in mind we could reuse these items for a future baby. And mm -hmm. so I think that's good. So, yeah, I think I mentioned a few things that we had that, you know, you know, obviously not made it. And a few things that we had that were reusing. Um, there's some other things that kind of fall into a gray area of like, um, for example, we cloth diapered with our son. And I mean, he's still in diapers. Um, but our diapers are at this point barely working for him even there. So we did the uh, um, bum genius kind of all in one. So there's like a waterproof outer shell and there's a microfiber insert and they're just falling apart. And that's an item that people always say, oh, you can reuse these for all of your children and you, or you can sell them. And, but I, the reason I say it's a gray area is that I totally don't blame those diapers for the fact that they've fallen apart. Because it's recommended that you have, I think, 24 diapers at least. Um, and I know a lot of people have more than that. Like, I think a lot of people, it's kind of becomes like a hobby because it's exciting. There's different patterns and colors. And so a lot of people have a pretty big stash of the cloth diapers. And I think if we had that many, I'm sure they would be in good shape. And we could either sell them now or, you know, probably we'd just be using them for our daughter. But... We've actually only had 11, which is, I think, probably the absolute bare minimum number that you could possibly get away with, you know. And even with those, we've kind of not totally gotten away with it because, first of all, I mean, I'm, you know, a stay-at-home parent, so we're able to do more laundry throughout the day than we would be able to otherwise. There's no way we'd be able to cycle those through fast enough if we were both not at home. And even with both of us being at home, anytime one of us at all falters, you know, just forgets to start the cycle or isn't feeling well or there have been, you know, some extra diapers used that day or something, we've had to kind of bridge the gaps with disposables. And of course, at this point, since they're falling apart, now we're like afraid to use the cloth ones when we're not at our house because there will probably be leaks. So whenever we go anywhere, well, it's just that we have to change them so quickly now because they're not really holding the moisture in. So... Anytime we go out, I mean, we're using disposables then, so it's really not, those are not going to be reused for another person. We're either going to have to do disposables and or start all over again with building our stash. And I guess this time we'll have to decide, you know, will we, will we go for more or will we try to make it work with the bare minimum and then have to start all over again if we are lucky enough to have a third child? Well, there's a perfect example of a, of a place where people don't realize that you have to spend money. There can just be like, oh, I'm doing cloth diapering. Well, isn't that just a handkerchief and a, and a, well, and a safety pin? I think in theory you can save money after the initial investment. I mean, if you're able to get the money together to get the cloth diapers, you could then be saving money in the sense that you don't have to have money at the ready to buy new disposables all the time. 
you there are still expenses involved even after you've bought all the diapers, which does mean that you have to have money going into it. Like you do have to spend a chunk right at the beginning to get the number of diapers that you're going to need. But then there are still ongoing expenses. I think um, obviously we have to buy the soap that we use, and it's like a special soap that costs a little bit more than the soap we'd normally be buying otherwise. So there's little expenses like that. Um, and a lot of people, I think, like I was saying, we wouldn't really be able to even make our diapering situation that we've had work for us work at all if we didn't have someone staying at home. So I think a lot of people that do cloth that don't have someone at home or that are just, you know, busier or whatever have a diaper service. And so basically I think it works out to probably costing just as much as the disposables. I think I think we're saving in the sense that we don't have that recurring big expense of buying so many disposables at once. Mm-hmm. And that's been really helpful for us to know that we're not just going to get slammed with just the constant constant running out of diapers and having to buy them. So we are saving. I don't want to say that it's we've broken even. I think that by washing them ourselves and not having a diaper service, we've saved. But if we actually had a diaper service, I think we might be cutting it even at that point or mm-hmm. something. I think th- I think the area that we've saved probably is that because our son has really sensitive skin. Mm-hmm. So like some of the diapers, because we did use when he was in newborn sizes, we used some different disposable ones like from the hospital and different ones that people had nicely given us and things like that. So we tried out some different kinds and he really got like a weird rash whenever we were using the kind of scented ones. And we, so pretty much only the, of course, the most expensive diapers have really worked for him. So in that sense, we're saving because I think the cost of buying the most expensive diapers all the time, we would be spending a lot more than what we've spent, you know, doing mostly cloth. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so that's, you know, the diapers are something that you think that maybe you'll be able to reuse and you can't. And there's also an issue with, you know, things expire. Like our car seat has not expired because we would obviously not be reusing it, but it has been discontinued, mm-hmm. which means we are going to have to search around to find some of the component parts that we want for it. Like if we wanted another base for it or we do want a thing that connects it to our stroller and I don't think we're going to be able to just walk into the store and buy that. We're going to have to find that adapter like online or something, hopefully. Um, the same thing with our baby monitor. We originally, kind of similar to my original thoughts about um, having a chair for breastfeeding, I originally didn't really think that I would need a monitor. Like, I kind of thought, oh, it's nice to have, but I also definitely imagined it would be more of like this relaxed, free-flowing, oh, we live in a pretty small space, I won't need this. And it turned out that, you know, I would say it changed our lives significantly for the better when we got the monitor. Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, even though we live in a small space, I think that our space is soundproof enough that we really couldn't hear from one room to the next. But our son's a light enough sleeper that leaving the door cracked open would just mean that we'd be waking him up. So really the only way for us to ever step out of the room but know that we'll know if he needs us was having the monitor. So, I mean, that turned out to be a great thing to have. And we got one. um, We started with the sound-only one for a while, and then we went to the video one which just absolutely love. Like for me, I would say that's been an essential thing. And we got one that you can add a second camera on to imagining a theoretical scenario down the road where one baby's in one room and your toddler's asleep in another room and you can switch back and forth on the monitor and see them both. But of course, I think that that model has also been discontinued. So 
if we ever actually do want to add the second camera, we may just have to reinvest. So that's, you know, maybe not working out as well as we <laughs> planned. But anyway. Um, yeah. It is amazing what, you know. I mean, I mean, it's a little bit like, like you're saying, like, it's like just because you don't need something, it doesn't mean it's not essential for someone else. It's really just like, yes, it is subjective that, you know, you think somebody needs something that you consider uh, a want to have instead of like a have to have. It's a little bit like you're kind of imposing your own values on someone else to like say that it is inherently frivolous. Exactly, and and I think you're impo- when you impose your own values on someone. Because there's things I wouldn't think are important, someone else thinks are important. Yeah, and I can't predict that either. Just like I shouldn't think. But you're else making that to the, to me, you know. There are so many reasons why something might be necessary to one person that's not necessary to another person. Like for example, a video baby monitor. Mm-hmm. I know tons of people to whom that's totally not necessary. Part of that might be because their baby is different than the baby that we had. You know, some babies are pretty easygoing. They wake up at predictable times. They're going to be okay if, you know, it takes a few minutes for the parents to get there. They cry a little bit before the parents realize they're awake and go get them. I know a lot of people that feel like that's totally unnecessary, totally frivolous. Just crack a door open, you can hear your child crying, whatever. And I think for some people that works. Mm -hmm. For us, just a combination of our personal needs and our child's needs and just like the layout of our space. For us, having the video monitor has drastically increased our quality of life. Mm-hmm. And I think it, I'm sure that's true with a lot of other products that we don't have <clears throat> or don't feel the need for that other people feel like this thing has made all the difference for me. Mm-hmm. We're talking about preparing for a second child and how people don't feel like, you know, they necessarily are obligated to like help you out or whatever and that's i think fine because i was saying like i think financially you know it's it's a burden if you expect everyone you know to get you gifts every time you have a baby so in that way i think it's understandable that people don't quite get as jazzed up but on the other hand i do think it's sad in the sense where some people do get that excited and i do you know envy those families that are a little bit more into it and kind of just more because I think it's nice to celebrate the person. There's a whole new baby coming. That's a big deal. Even if you have 17 children, each one should is you know a special, unique soul that you've brought into the world. And you know, I think the problem I have with it is people treat it like a second marriage. When it's like I'm getting married again, and people are like, I already <laughs> bought you a toaster, so just I already, you know, you know, that toaster may have burnt out 12 years ago, as you. did your love fair for something. But you should just yeah, not expect <laughs> me to yeah. People are all like because I think that it is understandable in that because like when I went to your first wedding, I heard all this stuff about forever until death do we part, and, and you know now it's not so uh, you know like. Yeah, no, that's that's a, that's a funny way of looking at it. Like but but if people are like, okay, yeah, you had a kid, you got you got one kid, you can have two kids. How many kids are you gonna have here? Or do I gotta do a thing for each one? It's like not the I same thing. It's like people are people are too like uh, I don't know. But I do think it's a cultural thing because I know some people whose families always do a big deal. You know, for every child, it's a whole big thing. So mm-hmm. I do think a lot of it's a cultural issue and just kind of also how organized your family is. Like I think we have a lot of well-meaning. Family family members 
that are just maybe no, not I, coordinated or organized in a way where it's like they would put something together. Look, I, I'm only using our, our family because they're <laughs> the only available people to, to talk about in this situation. I'm just saying this is a, a cultural, wider cultural thing I have noticed that... that Some people are not as excited and... Yeah. I think it's interest. I think it is interesting to see the cultural differences because I know some people that make like a giant deal of like, you know, every baby they have like a full out shower and like they'll have like a party to reveal the sex of the baby and like every every step of the way for every single baby it's a big deal, and then other people kind of just don't do like barely anything and almost consider it like offensive. Like if you invited them to. A baby shower for the second baby, they'd be like, "Oh, well, sniff, won't be going to that," you know. Well, so I, I, I do think yeah. that's a cultural issue, and I think I think maybe it's more of a southern thing. Like I think maybe southern is more of like a shower for every baby, hmm. and we're kind of more getting more of the northern kind of <laughs> northern coldness. Uh. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I feel like people are almost just like. It's less about the person in that case, and it's more like you're entering this time in your life, and you know we're celebrating the fact that you're going from zero to one. Yes, and that's, any... that's what I was saying about how I think part of the reason people get the most excited for the first baby is that it's a big milestone, not just the baby themselves, but it's like these people were kind of... I mean, I don't know about you, but... I felt like I became not not even so much because I matured after having our son, but like just more the way I think about myself. I think I became more of an adult. Like now, when I watch TV shows, I identify with the parents instead of you know before. Even though I was in my twenties or whatever, I was still identifying with like the kids more sometimes than with their parents. And I feel like that kind of shifted when I became a parent. So it is like you're shifting into this part of your life where now you're the parents to a whole other part of the life cycle that you've transitioned to. And so I do think there's something to be said for marking that with a big celebration. Sure. And even when you get married, you know, you, you are kind of, you're taking on a new identity uh, of that of a, a couple, a two person. And if you've already you been married, it's like, you've already been a couple. <laughs> so just, you know. <laughs> but I'm saying more like with, with, uh, with children, it's like, you know, the the way you mature, so as uh, such as it is, is that you know you only have to think about yourself really, unless you're in a relationship, and then of course you think about the other person. But you assume they'll like have a but certain self advocacy I mean, yes, too. Exactly, the other person is taking care of themselves yeah. for the most part. You're just doing sort of additional helpful things. But like, there will never be a time now that I'm a parent where I won't be like not the most important thing. The most important thing is our son, of course. Yes. You know, and and that was that's just not true when you have zero children. Interesting, and I don't know if we want to like go off on a tangent on this, but it's interesting that you bring that up because that is actually a very controversial topic that I hear debated a lot, like in what? my mom's groups and like online and stuff. Who has primacy, your spouse or your children? Yes. It, and people have very passionate feelings about whether or not you should rank your spouse or your children first. But I think it's one of those things where I don't even think you Can't really have to Can both things be important? Yeah. First of all, I don't think that you always have to choose. I think you can have, you can hold two things equally important in different ways. I also think, though, that how you define important is, you know, that's a shifting thing, and that can be flexible depending on what you're talking about. Like, for example, if we were in a car crash and our car went into the water, 
I would save our children probably before I would save you. And I would expect you to do I this. I assume this is a scenario where I haven't, like, hit my head and passed out and need help unbuckling my seatbelt. Well, no, I, I'm saying this is, I'm saying, well, well let me put like, it. As you're swimming to the back, can you just hit my seatbelt so at least I can float <laughs> to the top? <laughs> no, no, no. Let me put it to you this way. Okay. I read a book once where there was this couple, uh-huh. and they are madly in love. They had a baby. They're very excited. On their way home from the hospital, they were in a car wreck, and their car, you know, went into the water. Yeah. And the um, the guy tried to save the baby, kind of, but, like, the car seat buckle was, like, a little mm. bit stuck or something. And so then he saved his wife, and she was, like, passed out. I mean, she wasn't in good shape. She was, like, passed out. He had to, like, unbuckle her and swim to the surface with her. He saved her. The baby was lost. Mm. And she basically was, like... How could you do this? And, I mean, they ended up breaking up. They were never able to get back together. Their relationship was ruined. Mm-hmm. And I totally sympathize with her. In I totally sympathize with her in that, I guess what I'm saying is, I believe in a life or death situation while your children are your dependents. And maybe even beyond. I don't know how I'll feel about this, you know, when we're old and they're like old, you know, adults or whatever. But I think when you have young children, I think that, their life does take supremacy to your spouse's life. I mean, that is partially a function of age, just in general, because, like, people who are below a certain ability level age-wise, development-wise, do need more help. Exactly, but, like, that's what I'm saying is that, like, if you had to choose... Their intrinsic value doesn't figure into it. It's just, like, who needs more help to keep on living? Exactly, and that's why I'm saying even though... Like, I would expect you to say, if you could only say one of us, I'm hoping that in this scenario somehow you save us both. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I would definitely try to unbuckle you as I blow to the Always with the floor. personal examples. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, but you see what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that I would expect you in a situation where you could only save me or our baby, I would expect you to save our baby. Well, But I mean, that doesn't mean that I think you value the baby more but, than you value okay. me. Okay, but if I was just walking along the street... And I saw somebody else run into a lake. I would save a random baby before I would save exactly. a random adult. Like you know, but that that has nothing to do with like how intrinsic their value is as like individual human people. I just think that like I assume that the adult will have more capacity to help themselves than the baby will have capacity to help themselves. So I need to help the baby. More than I need to help you. Yes, that's true. But th- that's why I'm saying that just because I'm saying that I would like unbuckle our child first doesn't mean that I'm saying I rank our child above you in all cases. That's that, And that's what I mean by flexibility. Mm-hmm. There are places where I think you put your child ahead of your spouse. That doesn't mean that you overarchingly are saying my child is more important to me than my spouse. Mm-hmm. There's things your spouse could do. That would make you never want to talk to your spouse again. Yes. Whereas there are maybe things that your child could do to make you feel that way, but they aren't the same things, and maybe the thing for your child would have to be at a higher level. Oh, I think that's definitely true. Um, I mean, like, I've thought about, you know, things like, what if your child turns out to be, like, a serial killer or something? Right. I mean, I guess that's the scenario I'm probably thinking yeah, of. Yeah, it's like... And I mean that that's a perfect example in the sense of, of what you're talking about, in the sense that um if you turned out to be a serial killer as my spouse, 
I would probably file for like an emergency divorce, which is a term that I heard when they were talking about what happened with the BTK killer and his after he was found out his wife, you know, filed for an emergency divorce, which I assume just means they expediate the process. Um but that's a perfect example, because yes, like if my if I found out that my husband was a serial killer, I'm filing for an immediate divorce. There's really no way that I'm gonna I'm not probably gonna be like visiting him in, him in prison, you know. Maybe once for closure, just to be like, my gosh, what's what's happened here or something, you know, but I'm not, it's not going to be like I'm having an ongoing relationship with you once I know this. Whereas if I found out that my child was a serial killer, as much as, you know, that would be just so devastating, so grievous, I would probably still maintain some connection to them. I don't know if I'd be able to help myself. I would probably still visit them. I might even, like, send them stuff that they could enjoy in their jail cell. Despite my horror at what they'd done, I would still feel a certain connection to them, whereas I would be, I think, more willing to just sever that connection in, like, a spousal relationship. Do you think that is a biological product of the fact that you, as the parent, would feel some responsibility for how your child turned out that you wouldn't feel responsibility for your spouse having turned out? I'm sure that's some component of it, because, I mean, of course, if your child turns out to be a terrible I mean, person. If, if your child is a serial killer, think, you have to have a moment of self-reflection. Where it's like, like what did I do child. as a parent that caused this yeah. to happen? Even if you didn't do anything. Even if you ultimately just, conclude that they were just born like this still, and you still, somehow, had no this chance, is the person you raised. You, you have to at least have that moment where you're like, oh, my child turned someone into a lampshade. What did I do? Yes, I mean, there's, there's, <laughs> definitely, there's definitely that, or at least... Because I honestly think a lot of times the parents are not to blame. I think people just kind of argue they are. I'm not even saying you ultimately are. would be to blame. But I do think I would blame myself probably. Not necessarily so much like my child is this horrible person. I think I might blame myself if I hadn't like noticed it sooner. You know what I mean? Because by the time someone's been like making people into lampshades and stuff, it's like this has probably been going on for a long time, and I would probably blame myself for maybe not noticing that my child was extremely disturbed and whether or not they could have been helped, you know, trying to seek help for them. I mean, ultimately, <laughs> I think if, if you are in that situation, you have to let yourself off the hook a little bit in that, yes, there are common traits with serial killers and, you know, maybe you have to look at how you contributed to that. At the same time, from what I've read, psychopathy, for example, is not curable that we know of. No, so, and if you're and really smart, I mean, you might, you know, you could be, if you're a smart psychopath, people are probably never going to know. Right, but I'm, I mean, obviously this is somebody that's been caught and has done terrible things. Yes, like, I'm imagining a scenario where you get the horrible phone call, and then it turns out that your child's been arrested, and at first, of course, you're like, you know, it's been a horrible mistake, but then it just all comes out. And, and then it's the like, dog is sniffing under the cross space, and you Yeah, know, and it's, it's like... just like, it's just, it just keeps getting yes. worse and worse, and you as the parent are just... Mm -hmm devastated. Mm -hmm. I do think, I, I at least imagine I would let myself off the hook to some degree because I do think, as much as I think that behaviors do <clears throat> have, you know, are impacted by your environment and how you're nurtured and everything, there are some things where people just kind of are who they are and there's only so much you can do for them. Well, this kind of leads into maybe a larger conversation that I didn't expect to have, but I think we... we yeah, I feel like we've gone in a totally um, different direction from our topic. How, but do, that's you, okay. how do you feel about the fact that all the available research points to the fact that you as an active parent have very little role in how your children turn out, that so much is innate to them on their success or failure... Um, for example, like IQ, 
Um, I'm thinking of like the ability to do basic things that will help them succeed in life. A lot of that, you know, we've kind of talked about this like developmentally, like, like, you know, people will pat themselves on the back if they did flashcards with their kids and then their kids know the colors or, you know, whatever. But, but, but yeah, it's like, but like, like I feel like our son uh, has, for example, a very uh, set pattern where he doesn't do things for a while and then he explodes forth and does them all at once. And, and you know, like every child yes, is different. Yes, like I feel like... And, yeah. I mean... I mean, because I don't feel like I have any control over the fact that he knows what the colors are. Well, I didn't but sit I th- down that- and talk to him about the colors. I just, I mentioned in casual conversation what things were. He picked up on it, and now he knows basic colors. I think that's true, but I do think there's a little bit, I think that we don't notice some of what we do. Because I think you notice, like, if you work with flashcards with your child, or if you mm-hmm. say, like, I'm going to spend an hour every day doing learning activities where we'll be really focused on learning and I'll be making sure that he learns the colors, you're going to know that you've done that. And then when your child starts to know the colors, you'll feel that that's paying off. I do think though, that even though we say, Oh, we didn't do anything to teach him the colors. That's not totally true in the sense that we've like spoken with him and we've pointed things out, you know, like, yes, that's a nice red car. Um, that's a brown dog, those type of things. Captain, he's watching for a while and when it's over, we'll watch Thomas, okay? Okay, keep watching. Um, so yeah, so I mean I agree with you, like I think he has just sort of learned things on his own. But on his own, still in the scenario where he has parents that talk to him and engage with him and show him things that are different colors. If we didn't, like, take him anywhere and show him things or read him books or talk about them, I don't know if... I think then we would probably be retarding his ability to naturally learn things. So, yes, I think he's learned things naturally, but I do think that we've played a role in that just a much more passive role just because the things that we did to help him were things we were doing anyway and not because we were doing them to meet those goals. But I think we are more the people that take everyday scenarios and turn them into teachable moments where we just like use what's happening anyway and be like, oh, this is happening. This is what we do when we see this or this is what this is. Whereas someone else might not do that. They might just skip over that and then think oh later maybe i should you know curriculum or something you know, yes yeah. whatever but it's like and neither is necessarily wrong but i feel like <laughs> i well i do because i said do one and not the other but i mean i have been excited about how little work we've had to put into teaching him things like i kind of felt like and like i'm saying i know that this is not totally true i know that things that we did contributed to him getting to this point but i was so excited the day that he just sort of learned how to count by himself without any coaxing from us. Remember mm-hmm. we were in the doctor's office mm-hmm. waiting room and he just started counting the chairs. And we had put like zero, like, yes, like I said, I'm sure we talked about, you know, numbers and we had books that had counting them and all that. But like, I had put zero conscious effort in teaching him how to count. Yes, but we were also the type of people who went to a music class where they sung songs with counting. But that's what I mean about that's that's why I'm saying it's not really fair to us for us to say that he learned those things on his own without help from us. We've helped him just by kind of creating an environment that's, you know, 
rich with like you know things that you know he's picked up on i guess is what i'm saying sure exactly but i mean relating that back to what we were saying about you know serial killers yeah i mean i don't know how much there is that you can really blame yourself but it you know it would be so disappointing <laughs> you know i say that and then if he becomes like a world-class physicist of course you're going to be like, it was me. I'm going to take all the credit for that in the world. You, you're not going to take that away from me. I had everything to yeah, do with that. Yeah, you'll, you'll spend the rest of your life being like, oh, and by the way, uh, I am the father. BTW, you know. You know. <laughs> yeah. I did this. This is all my success. You're the only one that can achieve these dreams of mine. Um, yeah. But, you know. I, I do think it lets people a little bit off the hook to know that, and, and it's it's a double-edged sword because then, you know, you also don't get to, like, take as much credit for their successes, but I think that's kind of a new idea, too, that, like, that children are their own beings. I, I think that, you know, it's new to him, especially at his age, because uh, we've talked about this a little bit. The, the three months after a child is born are kind of like the fourth trimester. Yes, and they're totally still just kind of in the womb, but even beyond that, I think, as a toddler now... Mm -hmm. I think, at, I forget what the age is when it supposedly starts really happening. I mean, I'm sure it's a gradual process that starts after they're born, but I think there's a big leap at a certain point. And that, I think, I've, I have read that that is part of the reason for a lot of the, when people talk about some of the challenges of having a toddler and some of the defiant behaviors and some of the wilder times, one of the things I've read is that the reason that toddlers behave in certain ways, kind of testing their limits and everything, is that they're really reaching a huge milestone as far as realizing, oh, I am a separate person than you. Mm -hmm. Because before that, you kind of think of yourself as an extension of your parents. And then you realize, you know, oh, I'm just my own person. and I could just decide to do this. Or better yet, I could just decide to not do this. Not, no, is a big <laughs> word. Yeah, and because it's no is such a powerful word when you realize, you know, because when you're an infant, obviously things just kind of happen to you. Your parents are picking you up, they're putting you down, they're manipulating you in different ways as they care for you. But now it's like, not only have you reached the peak of where you've ever been physically, but also you realize that you have that willpower to be like, you know what, I'm not going to cooperate with that. Mm -hmm. I want to do something else at this moment. It's very exciting. It is funny to me how he says no so often nowadays that he actually does double negatives where he's actually saying that he does want to do that. I will not want to not do that. Yes, I, I think that's very cute. I see it as part of his emphasis on he's really wanting to just emphasize the negative Yes. to really make sure that it's very clear that he's saying that it won't be happening. But, but he's, saying, he's saying that to things that... He even knows that I don't have control over, like, when we're driving, and he's like, we're not at a red light. It's because he just, he doesn't want to be at a red light. He loves he to be at a green light. He wants to be He wants to get, yeah, he loves when the car's moving. And it's just, it's very upsetting it's to him every red upsetting. light. He's like, no, we're not at a red light. Because he hopes that maybe if he could say that, that would make it not be true anymore. Exactly. Which is understandable. I mean, I think that's something we all feel. Mm -hmm. It's just we learn to just accept that we're not going to be able to control it, so we stop, you know, <coughs> putting our energy there. <laughs> <laughs> but <Exactly>. um <laughs> going back to i mean i feel like maybe we should go back into our topic more but you know i feel like we've really gone in some wild directions but we're talking about um baby things i think we pretty much covered you know baby products preparing for a second child you know how you you know 
need different things that you thought, you know, whatever from the first time. Um, I know you had wanted to talk a little bit more about, you know, preparing for a girl versus preparing for a boy. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think we touched on it a little bit, but we didn't really get into it. Um, I think that is one thing that with a second child that makes people more excited, probably unfairly. I know my, I've definitely experienced this, and it, I expected this, so it's not a surprise, but people definitely think with your second child it's much more exciting if it's going to be a different sex than the first one was. The dream is to, as I've learned from talking to people, the dream is to have a boy and a girl. You want to have both. Pretty much every time, you know, someone will, you know, I'm pregnant, someone says, do you know what you're having? I'll say, oh, we're having a girl this time. And every time it's like people are so, you know, they're like more excited. They're like, oh, that's just wonderful, you know, because I think that is, I think since in our society, two, even though a lot of people have more than two children, two is like a pretty standard number. I think for a lot of people, the dream is that you have one of each and then you could just stop if you want to and you know you've got it kind of locked down no. Um, but yes, people, I think, are more excited when they learn that we're having a girl because we already have a boy, mm-hmm. and they just think that's just perfect. And I, and I will say people are not wrong in the sense that we did hope to ultimately experience having a son and having a daughter, so we are excited that this is a girl. On the other hand, though, we didn't have a strong preference Maybe we would have had a stronger preference if we were sure we didn't want to have more children after this. But we would have been excited to have a boy, too. So, I mean, you know, another boy would have been fun. Um, yeah, I mean... But I do think it was kind of exciting for... Um, I think exciting for our families because, like, for... Well, for your family, I think, traditionally, the Burgesses have had less girls born into the family. So I think people kind of assumed that we would have a boy... I think, like, in your family, there have been a few more boys than girls, like, generally. It's just, there have been, there's always been a few girls born into the family, but I think there have been less than, you know, there have always been boys. So I think that that made it a little bit more exciting for people to find out that we're having a girl. I mean, my mom had three boys, so, I mean... Exactly, and and that's got to be interesting for you, though. You never have lived with a little girl before. <laughs> You've lived with, I mean, you lived with your mom. Mm-mm. And you lived with me. And, I mean, you've had female friends as, like, you know, like, when you were in college and as, like, a teenager and, like, at camp and stuff. But you've never lived with, like, a little girl. No. Mm -mm. So that'll be, like, a whole new territory for you. And you. Well, but (laughs) it'll be new for me. I've never had a daughter before. You have a sister. I've lived with a little girl before. I've I've not only lived with a little girl, I've also been a little girl. Well... (laughs) <laughs> Both you have that advantage over yes. me, I suppose. Well, I just mean, like, I've lived with a little girl, so I have some thoughts on how, you know, I think there's different sort of energy that sometimes females bring to a home. What would you say that would be? I don't want to sound too, like, stereotypical or anything, but I do think that... That's why I had you say it. <laughs> I don't, okay, don't want to use the word drama. Ooh. And, I mean, our son is certainly capable of being dramatic, but in his own in his own ways. But I think that I just remember there's a certain intensity. Like, I'm thinking of times when, like, my sister was a little girl and then I was also young. 
and at home and my mom was there and just like having the energy of like three females kind of things can get intense you know there's there's more like I think crying and you know there was a certain level of intensity I think with that there's like that female energy which is interesting Mm -hmm. that I don't know how much experience you had with that so that'll be interesting for you Mm -hmm. I kind of like was worried when I found out I was having a son not like intrinsically but like I feel like it is traditional that the child, the child that is the same sex as one of the parents, will have a harder time with that parent. I feel like mothers and daughters, fathers and sons, traditionally have some friction. And I've talked to other other people that have that have confirmed this. I don't feel like it's just unique to any one situation. But like you know, I'm not as worried about that. Well, I think you're not having, as worried now that you've had a son and you feel yes. like... But I always feel like there's that there's that competition thing when you're both the same sex. I think sometimes... and I, I I'm think, not even just talking about father-son. I'm talking about mother-daughter. I don't think that's always true. I think that I've seen that be true in some dynamics, but I don't... I, I've, seen, I've seen the reverse, too, in that I've, I've definitely seen some families where I feel like... I just never the, wanted to accidentally fall into that, and I feel no. like... It's 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 easier to do maybe if if the, both are the same sex. But now I know that after having a son, I'm not as worried about that. But I'm just saying, I think I've seen the opposite of that pattern as well. Too like I've seen some families where I feel like the mother and the daughters are all kind of aligned, and then the father and the sons are all kind of aligned, and they have sort of this closeness and alliance. So I think a lot of it just depends on how you organize your family dynamic. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, who different people are. <coughs> if you have a personality that's either too similar or too different than someone else in your family, I think that can lead to clashing <coughs> mm-hmm. more than anything. I mean, I say this in a, for coming from a family of only boys, too, so I don't have anything else but to compare that's to. That's why I'm saying it'll be so interesting for you. And I've always gotten kind of the feeling that you're, like, the kind of guy that would like to be, like, the dad of, like, a little girl, like... You've always kind of, you know, from the beginning of, like, when we found out we were having her kind of joked about, you know, how excited you are to, like, spoil her. Like, you're, and, and I mean, not to, not to be weird or anything, but part of the reason that I married you is because, like, <laughs> I always wanted, like, that kind of guy to be, like, the dad to my kids. Like, the kind of guy that, like, his daughter would be, like, his, like, little princess. And, like, I just, like, identified that about you. Like, yeah. I know that's kind of how you are. I mean, you've seen the captain, the way the captain, like controls me so i'm sure like a little exactly. girl will only be more so, so. yeah no, she'll, she'll have you wrapped around her little finger or whatever have whatever the, that saying is but that's always sure. something like i wanted that for my child mm-hmm. and that's one of the reasons that i like picked you to be like the father of my child it's like that's like yeah. something i want for my little girl good for me i guess yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um did you want to talk about names yes i mean that was originally going to be our topic wasn't it and then we All just right, have well. We've talked for an hour about you yes. know, else, other things. Other, yeah. other, other, other things have come up along the way. I feel like we've talked. I mean, I guess everything's sort of in a semi, somewhat related topic. We've just gone in some directions that I wasn't expecting to take or whatever. Okay. But um, yeah, finally, finally getting into it because that's something people are very excited about. I, well, we say people, but our moms really. Yes, I mean, I think I think when I say people, the the biggest the forces of intensity are coming from those directions. <laughs> Every time we talk to them, they always are, they, they always want to find a way in. Well, my mom always just sort of <laughs> tries to slip it into casual conversation. Like she'll just your mom, like, even when she called me for my birthday, was like, "I'm not going to do." <laughs> 
you, I do to Ash and then try to slip it in and, and try to find out and try to trip you up because they know what they're doing. Well, my mom even had her <laughs> um, her very one of her very close friends at like um, we were at the memorial service for my uncle. She even had like one of her friends trying to like silence get him. Just like she's like, oh, by the way, what's the you know? And I knew that she was obviously sent she's by speaking my to my flower and tell me. <laughs> Yes, yes. Um, but yes, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to talk about that and then also, you know, our experience with, you know, baby names and then also just names in general because, you know, that's one of my topics of interest. Well, maybe maybe a good entry point would be the fact that we already have a child and that, maybe, I don't want to say limited, but you, you are uh, greatly It sets influenced. a certain precedent sets for a what kind of a... For where you're going to go with the names. Because, I mean, when you come out the gate... I mean, you really come out the gate with, like, a theme in your estimation. True. I mean, that's that's kind of the way you look at it. Everything for you is, like, how does this relate to the larger theme well, of all of our children? And the first child definitely sets that tone. But I will say that this is one area where having the second child be a different sex is very liberating because... Well, especially girls' names because I feel like you have more leeway with girl names. True. But I also think, you know... I think once you've picked a name, that kind of locks you, like you were saying, into kind of a theme and a style. But I think more so if you're having another child of the same sex, then you really, I think, want something very comparable. You know, if you name your first son William, you're going to be looking at names like Henry and Theodore and James and George, you know, for your next son. You're probably not going to want something that strays too far outside. Although, I mean, there are some people that just kind of eclectically pick whatever they want, but I'm a person who appreciates some kind of consistency. So yes, I think it also sets up people's expectations. Before you have any children, people, you know, you could pick anything and people might, people might think they know who you are and then be surprised if you picked a name that they weren't expecting, you know? But once they know that you have one child with a certain kind of name, I think they are imagining that they have some idea where you're going. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, I think we had a much easier time this time picking the name. Mm-hmm. Well, I think because, I mean, the first time, obviously, yeah, like the sky was the limit. We could just pick anything. Whereas the second time, we'd already picked one, so we kind of were like, we want something that kind of goes with this somewhat. But also, I mean, we'd already thought about names a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we learned from our experience picking a name the first time, too, because I think, well, I mean, I, I, mean, I guess I should say, because I think this is an important detail here, that even though, I mean, we like our son's name, we actually don't call him by his first name. And I'm pretty sure he doesn't think of his first name as being his actual name. He pretty much just goes by a nickname, which is something that... It's actually a name that we had thought about using as his given name. Mm -hmm. And didn't use partially because we felt like it was a little too wild. Mm -hmm. And I think that having the experience, though, of realizing we actually ended up calling him the thing we wanted to call him anyway. So maybe even though we're really happy with the name we picked, we might as well have just picked the other name. I think that freed us up a little bit this time mm-hmm. to feel like we didn't have to worry so much about, oh, if we pick something wild, so what? Because mm-hmm. I will say that the name we've picked out this time is, I don't think it's wild in the sense that, I mean, it's a real name that's been used by humans. 
<laughs> and <laughs> and it's and it stylistically has a lot in common with many other names that are currently considered very very acceptable and not at all surprising. Mm-hmm. But it is outside the top thousand as far as commonality of usage. So it's a little bit on the wilder side in the sense that while I think it sounds like a name that shouldn't be very wild, it's definitely something that you probably don't know. I don't know anybody else with this name. I've never met anybody. I doubt that anybody listening to this <laughs> knows anybody else with the name either. I'd be very surprised, Yeah. Yeah. But it's not a word in the English language that is that you wouldn't look at that and be like, what is that? No, that's what I mean. It's, it's, it sounds like a real name. It's not like no, it's, it's an not, alien it's not collection of It's not an alien of collection of sounds. No. Yeah. It has, you know, it's, it, it is a real human name and it has some real meaning to it. It's not just like something random. I just mean that it's a little bit wild in the sense that it's not like given the stamp of approval as in like, well, many people right now are named this, so it must be fine. What would you say your overall philosophy of names is? As far as for picking names for our children? Do you have a different standard for other people? Yes. Because there there are so many names that I love in a way where I would never consider using them for my own child. Mm -hmm. And I don't even like them in the sense that, like, I would like to use them for my own child. But I still like them in the sense that I'm, like, excited to see them on someone else's child. Like, someone else has a baby. They're like, this is his name. I'm like, oh, that's great. And I'm genuinely happy and excited for them. And I think they've made a great name choice. It's just not at all the road I would have gone down. So that's why I think there's, you know, there's a different philosophy for me as far as, like, my own standards for picking a name aren't standards that I think need to be applied to everyone else who picks a name. In fact, I prefer that they not be because, like, I like to see a variety of names in use. And if everyone's using the same standards, we're all going to end up at the same place. Hmm. But as far as my own philosophy for our children... um, well, we, we had some rules that we made for ourselves, and we've considered at various times, you know, flexing on these rules or not, but I know we set out with the rule of we didn't want to name our son after anyone as far as we didn't want to use the name of any um, living relatives and probably any dead relatives either, although his middle name is incidentally the name of, like, a distant relative, I think, of mine, but... I didn't really consider that to be naming him after them because they weren't like a person that was significant in my life. And it's a common enough name that it's more of a coincidence than a like directly after. But we didn't want to pick, I guess what I'm saying is we didn't want to intentionally use a family name or specifically use a name that had already been used by anyone in our family. Mm I, I think uh, that would maybe not be an issue if we didn't have any divorces in our background. Yes, I think that's definitely true because, I mean, once you have divorced parents, anytime you're using a you name use from a, one family, yeah. you're picking sides. You're, you're, you're favoring one over the other. Even if that's not why you would pick the name. Because there, there are the some names... intention is irrelevant at that point. There are some names where it's like you love the name and you love the person... So, it would be wonderful to use the name, 
and you wouldn't be using it at all because you don't love a person from the other family, but it still could feel that way to the other Feel family. like a strike against the other person to Yes, because it's like you're kind of showing favor to one side over the other, and we want it to really avoid that. Yes. But I'm saying, I think when in a scenario where no one, everyone's like still married to the original spouse. Yes, if everyone's still married, if all the grandparents are still with their original spouses, and they all get along too, because I mean, I, yeah, I think, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I think yeah, this yeah, can yeah, even yeah. even Absolutely. in families where the parents aren't yeah. divorced, I've still seen people have problems where it's just like the in-laws don't get along with each other, and so mm-hmm. then it's like, oh, so you've chosen his side or her side. You know what I mean? Like a lot of I've noticed there's a lot of little boys that will have a double middle name, mm. and it usually is. The first name of both the <laughs> maternal and the paternal grandfather, because oh. you know you don't want to just name it after one grandpa and not the other. Yeah. But then even then, one gets to go first in the order, and you know the parents may just be picking off of which flow better. You know, because like, <clears throat> you know, they just might think that Eugene Paul sounds better than like Paul Eugene. But, you know, Paul or Eugene might be mortally offended to be coming in after Eugene or Paul. You know what I mean? As an example. So, yeah, it's we want it to kind of just avoid anything like that. Mm-hmm. And just go for just, you know, no, no named after people. We definitely considered, um, you know, characters from books and movies and things. Although, interestingly enough with our son... A lot of people think that he is named after an author, but he's not. Um, just because we really, like, to me, to, to speak back to what you were asking about what's my naming philosophy, I really just look for something that sounds the way I want it to sound. Hmm. More than I look for, like, this is a famous author that I love. Um, so, like, with our son's name, like, he has a name that's uh, that's commonly used in reference to an author that's very popular, you know, in America. But although we like that author fine, that was not really our reason for Do you want to say the author we're talking about? No, I like to let people speculate. (laughs) (laughs) It's John Grisham. Um, (laughs) Grisham, come here. (laughs) No, but, um, I'm sure, you know, for someone that's the reality they're living right now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, but no, it's just, we. I didn't want to name him after that author. We just incidentally liked the name, and, like, that author wasn't a detracting point from it. Um, so, yeah, I think for us, maybe we look more for style than for, like, namesake. Hmm. Although I did also want something with real-world meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, the name that, you know, like, going back to our son's name, it refers somewhat to something or an action or a thing, so it's not just kind of just a collection of sounds. But I would push back on that slightly and say real world is only relative to what people in the real world actually use, and if people start using something else, you can deny it if you want to, but people are still using it. Sure. Like, I might object to Mackenzie with five Ys, but that may be a real thing that's happening. 
But that doesn't have real world meaning in the sense of like Mackenzie just refers to the name Mackenzie. It doesn't mean it. It doesn't mean anything to me. Like it might mean I I don't know what Mackenzie actually means, but it could mean like town by the brook or like, you know, very strong or something like that. It could mean that. But to me, it doesn't have that meaning when I hear it. And I like names that call some actual meaning to mind. Like, for example... Um, I was just trying to use the standard that the Oxford English Dictionary uses to introduce new words. But what, I'm, but what I'm saying, I'm talking about having a meaning as far as, like, it relates to something else in the real world. I mean, it's a noun. Yes, or it relates to a noun or a verb. Hmm. Like, I'm saying, like, our son's name relates to both a verb and a noun. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I liked about it. And, of course, our daughter's name, people are going to have to wait to find out what it is. But it also relates to something, or maybe I, I would say several real things mm-hmm. in the world. Um, and that's all you're going to say? About yes. And, well, I guess going, <laughs> yeah, so, well, I guess going back to, um, you know, my naming philosophy or whatever, we did think about balance as far as the first name and the middle name. Like, um, with our son, we picked a name that's kind of traditionally very unisex. And so we've picked a very more traditionally masculine name for his middle name because mm-hmm. we wanted him to have, you know, that kind of, I felt like balances it. And we also wanted him to have <clears throat> access to that clarification if he wanted it, like in situations where he wanted to make his sex clear, that's an easy way to, you know, be able to rely on a very um, typically you know, sex-specific name as opposed to having just a completely unisex name. Mm-hmm. Um, and we thought about those same types of things with our daughter, too. Um, I feel like you have more freedom with a girl's name in general because I think you're allowed to be more whimsical mm-hmm. with a girl's name than a boy's name. I feel like there's a certain expectation that unless you're going to go gravity, the like boy name Sue route... That you're going to uh, give them a name that gives them something to stand behind, you know, mm-hmm. like 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 a certain like. That's totally unfair, though. I, I, mean, I, totally... I, know, I don't. I don't think it's fair at all. But I think that's the expectation. Oh, I agree. That I that's think the expectation, expectation but... is that you give them some kind of strong name. It just it bothers me because I feel like that's so rooted in the idea that like the guy has to be serious and successful in like a you know. Um, as the provider and the head of the family, blah, blah, blah. Whereas the woman is just kind of an ornament. So, and I feel like that's, I don't, I don't like to, I'm not saying it's patriarchal. I'm not saying it's not patriarchal because it is. Um, I'm just saying that, you know, (laughs) I just, I, you know, I, I feel that in the world, maybe this is a product of having gone to a public school, but like. I feel like you're kind of when you're a boy, you're 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 you have a certain expectation of like toughness. Sure, to and live up to and and if you show any weakness, if you show any 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 tenderness or kindness, it, it's perceived as weakness as a boy. And I think I think this that kind of relates back to I don't. And maybe that I'm just reacting to the scarring of uh, my own youth of like being picked on or whatever, you know. Well, I think that relates to just the general how much do you gender your child gender your child as far as. Sometimes it's a self-protection um, thing. Well, and that, that's, I guess that's my, sort of my point um, when I, I don't know, I don't remember if we talked about it on this podcast or mm-hmm. not, um, about, I'm very, 
I definitely have thought a lot about, you know, how appropriate is it to gender your child? And of course, picking a name for them that's gendered is part of that. And I think to a certain extent, you know, it makes me uncomfortable to push too hard to overly gender my child, you know, because it's like I'm just trying to impose my preconceived notion of what your gender will be on you based on your sex. At the same time, though, I think you can go too far in the other direction. Like, if you're picking a unisex name just because you don't want to gender your child, that's maybe going, to, in my opinion, too far in the other direction. You know? Mm. Like, I do think, like, you know, your child might appreciate the option to have a gendered name if it's something that they feel like they need access to. And that's like with our son, I'm saying we picked a unisex first name, and so we definitely were intentional about picking a gendered middle name well, in like case he wants he that to options. Work. Yeah, well, that exactly options. Like we we wanted him to feel like he could have certain options if he wanted to take make use of them. Because a middle name really is what you make of it. Mm -hmm. Most people don't use their middle names hardly at all. They might as well not exist. And some people rely on them heavily. Like they'll even go by their middle name or or they'll, you know, use it in certain situations or, you know, so, yeah, we just wanted him to have those options. And for our daughter as well, not not so much. I don't think we were as worried about the gender because I think the name that we picked for her first name, I think is pretty female. But we definitely wanted some balance as far as there's a certain amount of whimsicality, I think, in her first name. And so I think we wanted something a little bit more serious feeling, I guess, mm -hmm. for her middle name. Hmm. Now, when you were growing up, did you have lists of names that you were going to name each gender? Oh, I mean, I thought about it constantly. I had, you know, many plans. How did those lists change over time? I would say they changed completely in the sense that there's only one name that I've ever considered as an actual pregnant adult that I ever thought about, you know, prior to that, like seriously. I mean, part of this is the fact that we were born in the 80s and I'm sure we had different yes, ideas I mean, about names well, back I mean, then as opposed to now, so. I mean, of course, because I mean, like, for example, I remember when, when my baby sister was born. Mm -hmm. Um... I remember I cried when my parents told me what her name was because I so desperately wanted them to name her either Megan or Brittany. Mm. I just thought those were just the best names that a little girl could have. <laughs> and I just, I wanted that so badly for her. And I was so devastated that my parents didn't go with either of those. And of course, now I just think those are, those names are so of their time. Sure. Like, of course. Yeah, your sister doesn't seem like either to me. No, I mean, I think she's probably better off the way that she is yeah. now. I'm just saying at the time, of course, I thought those were ideal names for a little girl. Mm -hmm. You know, because they were very much of their time. But that's a perfect example of how my name taste has changed. Mm -hmm. You know? It's like, I mean, I think there are very few parents that are choosing those names for their children right now. But a lot of a lot of Megan's and Brittany's are, in fact, having babies right now, I would mm -hmm. say. It's interesting to think, like, you're naming someone and they could, you know, with life expectancies the way they're going, this good person could be alive for 125 years and, and you're naming someone, like, that's why I always hear somebody with a terrible name and I'm like, this person could be alive 
they could be like you know, cryogenically frozen for 500 <laughs> years and the, and the, 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 the whiteboard on the outside of their cryogenic chamber could say like Dakota Johnson or something like that. Actually, there is a um, pretty famous actress now named Dakota Johnson. You may not be aware of Are this. you kidding me? Yeah, Don Johnson's daughter. No Dakota way. Johnson. She's I the star I just of made the... that up. No, no, no. Um, no, um, Dakota Johnson is like the daughter of Don Johnson and oh, maybe like Melanie gosh. Griffith or something like that. Wow. Yes, and she's but she's that. become known, I think, in the last couple of years because she's the star of those Fifty Shades movies. No. Yes. Oh my. Yeah. <laughs> what have I done? So her name will be known forever. Yeah, she probably was um, in the cryogenic chamber too. But but I do think I mean I think that speaks to an interesting thing, which is I think that the life cycle, as far as when we think a name sounds new and fresh, I think has sped up a little bit mm-hmm. because supposedly. Supposedly, there's a hundred-year cycle, but I think that we're cycling faster, yes, where, which is basically like the point at which a name is popular, and then a hundred years later, it will sound good to people again. So the idea being, like, a lot of names that people are resurrecting right now that are the names of, like, you know, someone's great-grandmother or something that for our parents would have thought sounded, you know musty and you know not like very exciting and now we're like excited about them again um you know names like olivia and emma that are so popular now that i think our parents weren't barely considering but now i mean we think those names sound great and fashionable and there's also you know a lot of like people that have recently died that were named those things Mm -hmm. um like names like sophia for example it's such a popular name right now because i mean it's lovely but it's one of those names where I think 20 years ago, people thought of that as like an old lady. And now we think of that as like a little girl. So there's that life cycle. But I think it's speeding up in the sense that there were names that I think were very popular, just sort of tried and true names for a long time mm-hmm. that most people were using. Like, I feel like there was a time when, you know, most guys were like John or William or Robert and now, I mean, those names are still around, but there's other names that you're maybe more likely to hear. Like, you're more likely to meet a little boy named, like, you know, Riker or Dylan or Cole or something. But those no, names... Noah. Yes, but those names are going to, you know, 10 years from now, there's going to be other different popular names happening. And those names will sound just like a teenager and not like a young boy anymore. But here, here's something that... that here's. If I have a, if I had to list one of your overarching theories about names, I would say that it's certain sounds go in waves, certain sure. certain parts of names, and, and 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 you don't even assign this to specific names. You just I think they're just sounds to... that start to sound good to us. Maybe part of it is just that they've been out of fashion long enough that they start to sound fresh and exciting. Like well, like you mentioned Noah, like mm-hmm. names like Noah and Nolan and Nora, those are all popular right now because that sort of no sound sounds good. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I can't criticize anyone for picking those names. Cause I think all those names sound great, but I know that I just think that because I'm a human being that's alive in this time. So it's like, I almost, I don't think it's like free will. I think I almost can't help but think those sound good. Mm-hmm. What names, what, if you had to like do a predictive index of what the next group of sounds that Breakthrough was going to be? Oh, what, what I, would... I don't, I don't think I have it in me. I mean, 
there was a time when I could have answered that question because there was a time before I actually had children when I had like a lot more mental energy that were actually spent a lot of time thinking about things like that. And I used to enter into like, there's different websites that I like to look at where every year they have like a poll that you can enter and there's questions like you predict what will, what name will have risen the most this year and what name will have fallen the most on the popularity charts. And I used to actually spend time, you know, answering those types of questions and really thinking about them and trying to get it right. And honestly, since I've actually named a real person, I just haven't, you know, just trying to name real people has been like enough for me. <laughs> like, it's just like, I don't have the, I don't have it in me, tragically. I see. But it does seem like certain musty names have, and maybe this is always true, have like started to come back through. That's what I'm talking about with 100 years. It's like about 100 years between when a name seems pop, seems like, it sounds good to a lot of people, and then it starts to sound like an old person. And really, but the hundred years is going to change too, because like you were saying, people's lifespans have changed. And I think that hundred year thing is based on the idea that a name generally starts to feel great to us again when the majority of the old people with that name have kind of died. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, take a name like Sophia. There's like a few grandmother Sophias, and most of them at this point have died. And now Sophia sounds, like, exciting to us, whereas 20 years ago it sounded like someone's grandmother. Mm-hmm. But, so, I mean, by that measure, it'll be, like, what I was saying about, like, Megan and Brittany, for example. Probably the people our age named Megan and Brittany will die at some point. And mm-hmm. when most of us have died, mm-hmm. whatever our great-great-grandchildren will be, like, thinking about using those names. What causes a new sound to enter the lexicon? I mean, you're asking me these questions, and I just I don't have any idea. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, just, I mean, that's, like, such a, like, very linguistic and, like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just curious because, like... I, I, I think often this is this doesn't totally answer your question, but I think often... We like one thing, and then we start to feel like it's a little oversaturated, so then we sort of modify it, and it kind of spins off from there. Mm. And then there will be, like, a TV character that has the name. Well, that was kind of what I was thinking. And then we get more... But usually usually those things, people are already getting excited about something, and then they see somebody they like with the name, and they, like, get more excited, and it kind of goes from there. Well, like with, for example, the name Noah, Mm -hmm. there was a character on a soap opera that had a baby and the baby was named Noah. And Mm -hmm. I think that gave Noah a big push. But that happened alongside with being at the same time when a lot of the great grandpa Noah's had died. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of that, too, has to do with even though currently I think a lot of Noah's are not necessarily Jewish people. Mm -hmm. I think previously a lot of Noah's were Jewish people. Because it's, you know, an Old Testament name, and a lot of Jewish people traditionally will pick an Old Testament name. And as I'm sure you know, um, one of the naming conventions of Judaism is that you you name after a relative who's passed away, not a relative who's alive. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you know, if Grandpa Noah is still, like, in good condition, you're probably not going to have any new Noahs this generation. But I think most of the Grandpa Noahs had kind of died off. Mm-hmm. And so that also kind of opened up that territory again. Mm-hmm. 
also, I think, you know, people like one name and then it starts to sound, you know, there's so many of them, like, people love the name Joshua. And there's so many Joshes, though, that people are less excited to name someone Josh. And Noah has kind of a similar sound, as well as also being, you know, biblical. So it's sort of a natural progression. And now that there are so many Noahs, I think people are starting to kind of move on to Ezra a little bit, too, because it has that similar kind of ending sound. Previously, people felt like maybe it was a little too wild, but now they're like, maybe. (laughs) I feel like there's a lot of second sons named Ezra, where there's, you know, first son Noah, second son Ezra. Mm -hmm. I, I I would bet there's quite a few pairs like that. It's like traditional, but it's like... You're pulling different parts of tradition that have fallen by the wayside back into the fore. Sure. What else did I not ask you about names? Um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I'm not sure. It's, it's hard because we don't actually want to reveal what her name is. Oh, well, I did want to talk about how, you know, we've talked about how to tell people the name. Because, well, it's it's an exciting moment to announce the name. It's one of the most exciting things, especially since people already know that she's going to be a girl. Mm-hmm. And... I think also with, you know, our ability to communicate at kind of lightning speed now, I think it used to be that, you know, when you sent out a birth announcement, that might actually be the first time people had heard that the baby was born. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, you get a birth announcement in the mail, and you're like, oh my goodness, Rob and Ash had their baby, we're so excited. Now we get a birth announcement in the mail, and I love getting birth announcements, but I've never actually received a birth announcement for a baby that I wasn't already aware of. Mm Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like, we got a birth announcement for your nephew, but, like, we've already known he's here for a few weeks. We love having that and, like, having the picture, and it's cute, and we saved it, of course. But it's not like that's actually, like, the news. Yeah. So now that we aren't able to have the announcement itself be the, like, delivery of the news, it's interesting to try to think of, you know, what's the most exciting way we could tell people just in the moment, you know, she comes out... We, you know, immediately have to call, you know, like our parents and our siblings and tell them that she's here. What's the most exciting name way that we could, like, reveal her name to them? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we've thought, we've thought about that a little bit. And I haven't really come up with any good ideas, though. You know, I've watched a lot of YouTube videos, and I haven't actually seen very many name reveal videos that I thought were very inspiring and exciting. A lot of them are just, like... Some variation of the they have the letters of the name mixed up and then they unmix they unscramble them and sometimes they take a really long time and you start to get bored a little bit and you're like you know let's pick up the pace here even though the video is only six minute long minutes long it feels like the longest six minutes of your life I feel like those videos could be done in about thirty seconds I don't really think there's any reason to have them be any longer than that but that's why I, I haven't come up with a good idea for us yet I want something that's just kind of like coming. I want something that's the equivalent of I've seen a sex reveal video where well like for example with ours we popped a balloon and pink confetti came out. Mm-hmm. I want something that's the equivalent of that but for the name. Like you know we pop the balloon and the name comes out but not not exactly that but you know what I mean I mm-hmm. want like a, a fog to descend and somehow it like <clears throat> signals what the name is. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of special effects are going to be involved. Pyrotechnics <laughs> yeah. should be should be employed. Yeah, but 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's much more to say about names. I know you had wanted to talk, and I feel like we've been talking for a really long time now, though. Mm-hmm. But I know you had wanted to talk more about, like, some other, like, pregnancy-type things. Like what? Um, you wanted to talk about, like, the, you know, having a C-section, maybe oh. having a V-back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we had a C-section last time. Yes. It, it's fair to say it wasn't what we had wanted. It wasn't our original first choice. No. No. I mean, we, our son is here. We were very happy about that. <laughs> I'm glad that happened. I'm, I'm glad that I was able to take pictures. It was an amazing time, of course. I still don't understand how they can slice you open like that and have it I have no okay. idea how I'm still alive. Like, no, it was, I don't know. Was, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so that was an experience. But at the same time, you know, you, you want to experience the... I, I'm, I'm choosing my words carefully because I don't want to say traditional. Um, or, you don't want to use the word like traditional or natural or preferred because like we said about the baby gear, I mean, how you give birth is such a hey. personal choice yeah, and you might have like a set of everyone's got reasons that go into, yeah. you know, what's preferable for you. But for me, with my first pregnancy, I was mm-hmm. very much wanting to have what's typically referred to as a natural birth, mm-hmm. you know, not very many interventions. We was going to exit in kind of the most typical, traditional exiting fashion. And I wouldn't say we had the most time to prepare for that because we didn't really find out that uh, our son was going to be breached until uh, very late in the process. So we didn't really, like, go well, into this thinking that this was going to necessarily happen. At the same time, though, I actually felt like maybe this is the opposite of what you're trying to say, but... I felt we were really lucky because we did have a few weeks where we knew that it was probably going to be having a C-section. And I think for a lot of people, a C-section is an emergency thing where it just ends up happening. And I feel like that would be a lot harder to deal with because we at least had like the day that we went to the hospital to have him. We knew he was probably coming out that day and that Mm. I was probably going to have the C-section. I'd had time to talk to some people that had had C-sections and to read some things and get a little bit ready to have a major surgery versus I think it would be so much worse yes, to, to worse. labor and be worn out and yes. to think you were doing it one way and then have like an emergency situation where it's all happening in another way. I think that would be so much worse. But at the same time, you're right. It was jarring for us because we did spend a lot of time like reading books and stuff about, you know, how to get ready for your natural delivery, and then none of that really helped us. I'm just saying there's some people that schedule their C-section well in advance. Yes, if you actually know from the beginning that you're having yes. a C-section, that would be a totally different. And if and if you actually, there are some people that for one reason or another prefer to have one. Yeah. And if you actually preferred to have a C-section, I feel like that would obviously be the easiest to plan for because it's like you know you're having major surgery you can find out exactly you know what you need for your recovery and you know it's going to be happening and I would assume too I mean the big difference there is just emotionally I felt very sad about having to have surgery because I mean it's scary to have a major surgery and also just missing out on some things that I'd looked forward to as far as I'd always been very interested to know what is it like to be in labor? What is it like to push the baby out? And so I was sad to kind of not get to have those experiences that I had thought that I would be having and had wanted to have. Mm-hmm. 
And so I think, yeah, if you preferred to have a C-section and knew it was going to happen, that would definitely be different. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, we had to go through some trials to find a doctor that would even really accommodate the fact that you want to do a VBAC. Oh, yeah, because I mean, even though, you know, there's a chance, of course, that I'll be having another C-section, I want the opportunity to have a VBAC if possible. And it was a little bit difficult to find a doctor that we felt good about. I am happy. I feel I feel pretty good about the practice that we're with right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but just some doc. I mean, I think most doctors at this point say that they're open to have to you know having a VBAC for their patients. But then when it comes down to it, they're really not actually hoping to help you get there. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if you want any chance of it working out, you need someone that's going to help you have the VBAC if it seems like it's a good idea. And I think some doctors are really just hoping you'll have another C-section. Well, I I feel like they put such constraints on it that there's no real other choice other than to have C-section. Well, that was how I felt about one of the other doctors that we tried. It's like, well, if this goes right, and this goes right, and this goes right, but I don't know, most times it doesn't, and it's like, you can tell they're like leading you down a primrose path where the 95 percentile of people are going to just exactly like i felt like they i felt like Like, it's going to take a very special case for them to like actually go through with it and of course you want your doctor to be like aware of things that could go wrong and obviously if you need to have a c-section you want a doctor that can recognize that and you know let you know but at the same time i felt like we encountered doctors that were like you said they have so many stipulations that may or may not even be that important, but for them, it's like, these are all reasons why I'm going to tell you, you can't have the VBAC. Mm-hmm. You know, like if your pelvis is too narrow, which I think is kind of bullshit. I mean, I know that there are some people that have narrow pelvises, so I'm not at all saying that that's not a real thing, but I feel like most people's pelvises are probably not too narrow, but it's like, that's like the kind of thing that's like, okay, like there's just one more thing that we're, Here's another reason why this might not work out for you, you know? So, yeah, I'm I'm hopeful for having the VBAC, but I also feel like in some ways I'm more open-minded about the idea of having a C-section than I ever was before I had one mm-hmm. in the sense that I think that, and I feel this way about breastfeeding as well, but I feel like a lot of the things that I read in preparation for having a natural birth the first time, you know, before I was, you know, know knew that a C-section was coming... I think a lot of things work kind of on the principle of don't even consider that you could do this. Like, don't even consider that you could have a C-section or don't even consider that you could feed your baby with formula. For example, to relate it to what I was saying about it's similar to breastfeeding. A lot of the things that prepare you to do things in kind of a quote unquote more natural way work on the idea that you can't even allow any mental space to be like, this could happen. You have to be like, I'm absolutely having a vaginal delivery. And I understand that that could be helpful from in the sense that it makes you very determined. But I also think that it's a certain kind of inflexibility that doesn't prepare you at all if things do take an unexpected turn. Mm-hmm. Like everything that I, all the preparation that I did in the beginning of my first pregnancy that was like, don't even consider that you could have a C-section. It basically, I, I basically felt like a lot of things 
discourage you from preparing for the possibility of that it could happen because then they somehow think that'll make you more open to it and then it will happen to you. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, maybe that's true, but on the other hand, sometimes things go wrong or, you know, plans need to change and I think it's good to be a little bit more flexible and I feel like I'm more flexible this time in that even though I want the VBAC, I have mental space that I've also allowed myself to consider, you know, a little bit of preparation of what will happen if I do have a second C-section instead. Mm-hmm. And I think that that will actually allow me to be, if I do end up with another C-section, I think I'll be more okay with it. Mm-hmm. Because I've, you know, allowed myself to consider that it's a possibility versus just thinking, oh, don't let yourself think about it. And I feel like that's similar to breastfeeding. I feel like a lot of things... With preparing to breastfeed, it's like, don't even let the formula samples inside your house. They'll try to, like, send them to you in the mail, but you should just immediately throw them away because if they're in your house, then you'll get desperate and you'll use them. And that might be true, but at the same time, I think it puts a lot of undue pressure on you. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of purity tests in that realm as far as, like, are you doing this the natural way? And I feel like not enough emphasis is put on, are you doing this the way that you need to do it for your situation? And I I feel like people are a little too self-righteous only because they feel marginalized. And I feel like that always engenders a sense of victimhood. And it's like, I'm doing this the natural way. It's me against the world. And people are trying to break me down. And it's like, yes, maybe that's true in your case, but like, you can't assume that everyone else is going to feel that way. And, you know, if formula or C-section is what someone else needs to make their life work, you know, hey, you know, like... Exactly. That, I mean, and that's really why... so wrong? I mean, you're, they're making it work, you know? And like, that's you know? why even the term natural, I think, is problematic yeah. because... It's a loaded term. It's a loaded term because, of course, natural is preferable in most cases. But there are also sometimes... When, you know, natural actually equals death. Yeah. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I mean, well, 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 like with the C-section, I mean, it is preferable to have a yeah. natural vaginal birth. I'm really... We were in the 1600s, though. I might be dead. You would be so dead, my, and, and I, I so would there's a, the child. Like it, it Maybe. Was, I mean, we don't know for sure. You know, in my case... The greater breach, chance. Yes. I mean, in my case, since we had the C-section because he was breech... I think there's a fair chance that, you know, if I had a provider that knew how to deliver a breech baby, he and I could have been fine. Mm. But there are other reasons why people have C-sections today that would generally be like a very high chance of death. Mm. And that would be the natural way. Like, well, for example, I've read that um, there's some speculation that human evolution is actually changing and that people's heads are getting bigger Mm. because... More people with um, people's heads are getting bigger because more people with larger heads are like surviving birth, and also people's pelvises may be getting narrower because more people with narrow pelvises are successfully procreating and having you know live births, and their children with narrow pelvises go on to continue having live births because of C-sections. But so I'm saying that's like a perfect example of how, yes, it would be natural for someone who's having a large-headed baby and, have an, and has a ne- narrow pelvis to give birth vaginally, 
but it would also be natural in that scenario for maybe the baby and the mother to expire during the process. Mm-hmm. So yeah, natural is a dangerous term. Yeah. I think. And I, I I don't mean that to say I'm against, you know, natural things. I just don't like using the term natural because I think it marginalizes people that have been saved by, you know, supernatural technologies that we're, you know, able to enjoy currently. <laughs> but even supernatural isn't really, you know, that's, it's still based on natural. I, I mean, I don't mean supernatural isn't magical. I just mean like... I want to sit. You want to sit? Go sit over there. I don't mean supernatural as in, like, magical, like, Superman. I mean supernatural as in, like, it's not just what would occur in nature without, you know, science or technology or, like, you know, more advanced, like, lasers or whatever, you know, whatever tools we're using. But even lasers are natural. We wouldn't have lasers if they weren't. Sure. They're of our dimension. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm not saying there's nuclear waste is natural. Super, I'm sorry. Supernatural was the wrong word. <laughs> but you, you, I think you understand what I'm saying yes. about how I think natural sometimes is used as like, oh, this is the gold standard. But it's not always because I think survival is also a pretty good standard. Absolutely. I I guess the coming though I think kind of the middle ground that I find myself in is like when I was when we were talking about my wanting to have a VBAC and searching for a provider that would give us the best chance at that. That's a case where I'm wanting something that I think is you know quote unquote more natural and at the same time you know it's harder to find support for that. So I mean there's you know there's I'm in support of things that are natural. It's just you know. Like you were saying, you what you gotta do. Yeah. Is there uh, is there anything else I didn't ask you about? I, mean, I don't know. I feel like there's gotta be something we didn't talk about. But. <laughs> um. I mean, whatever way she comes out and she's here, I'm gonna be happy with you know. And the the C section was still a very special time. It was. I mean, recovering from a C section was. Maybe not like the most favorite time that I've like experienced. Yeah, but... we're not going to put the gauzy, uh, you know, filter I on mean, that. But... I think, yeah, I mean, just you know, they kind of, yeah, it's like it is a major surgery. It's not something that I would have as my first choice. Then again, I'm a little bit scared of you know things that are going to happen to other regions of me. You know, if, if we do get the V back, you know, Ooh. that'll be like an interesting surprise to see what that's like. And while I do have reason to believe that recovery is easier. It's still, you know... I mean, I don't have those parts, but I can... Hmm. Yeah, it's still uncharted territory yeah. for me. That could Oof. be, you know... It could be, it could be rough. It's just the... It's, yeah. It's, but I know that other people have done this and okay, so... <laughs> exactly, but... <laughs> yeah. Others have done worse, and, and they've um, <laughs> I mean, I'm really hoping that I can have the VBAC partially just because I really want to, like, speed away from the hospital as soon as possible. Yeah, after that's the goal. That's the goal. I mean, I know some people actually really like being in the no, hospital because they feel I like it's it. kind of like a hotel stay. You've got, like, the clean sheets and you're resting and everything. But to me, it was awful the first time. And I'm even more apprehensive about it the second time because, you know, now we have a child at home that we want I want to be with. <laughs> and I'm not looking forward to the separation from him. And I felt like the hospital food was, like, slowly poisoning me and, like, shaving years off of my life. Um, 
So I felt like the hospital food was just trying to gain new customers for the hospital. Yeah, it was very bad. Although I have heard that it's better if you go to the cafeteria. We always ordered room service, and apparently that's a mistake. Apparently they have better stuff if you like go and get it. Although I'm not sure how true that is, because a lot of people eat things that are just terrible, so I don't know. <laughs> so I don't know if I can really trust anyone, but that's what I have heard that it's better if you go down to like this. But yeah, I just I didn't enjoy staying in the hospital and so Anything that allows me to, like, speed away more quickly after the birth, you know, to me, that, uh, honestly, is a big reason to want to be back. It's just, like, I've even, I mean, I've heard some people even say that they switched to having home birth specifically for that reason, just because they didn't want to have to, like, stay at the hospital. And that's, to me, totally understandable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just, I didn't like being in the hospital, even though I, I appreciated that the hospital we picked was, like, nice and, you know, I think we got good care from, you know, the nurses and the doctors and everything. But yeah, my, my desire is just to speed away from the hospital. I'm just, no, like, I mean, if I thought that I was, like, medically up to it, I would probably just stay home and not even go. You would just wheel your uh, thing with the, like, bags and the... <laughs> What's that? The, oh, the, the, the IVs? Oh, you're saying that I just escaped from the hospital yeah. before I'm Just load the IV bags into your car with the... With Can the, they, the here's a question. With the gurney thing. If you did, like, escape from the hospital... Uh-huh. Would they somehow charge you more, or would they charge you, like, less? Like, would they, like, like let's say you're supposed to be there for three days and you left after a day. It depends on if they rounded up or rounded down. Well, I'm saying, would they charge you less because you're not going to be, like, using their services, or would they charge you more because they'd probably have to, like, look for you, and you probably would have, like, stolen whatever the equipment that you will out with you was? If you, I mean, I think you would just disconnect yourself from the IVs and stuff. I mean... I, you've painted this picture in my mind where you have some kind of an IV going, but like you might, I feel like if we're talking about a scenario where you're given birth, you probably don't need an IV of anything at that point, unless you've had some sort of problem, in which yeah. case you probably shouldn't be escaping. No. But like assuming everything's going well, I don't think you're necessarily going to be like hooked up to anything. I mean, even after my C-section, I didn't have an IV or anything after they like they like disconnected all. I mean, this is all a moot point because they like attach like a like anti-shoplifting device to your child's like protruding rotting belly button <laughs> so it's like but you could still leave without your child i guess i guess if you wanted to do that i'm planning on leaving with our child's <laughs> sure <laughs> that is the nightmare that happens to a lot of people though if you have a preemie what that's well if your preemie has to like stay in the hospital for a long time eventually you go home and they're still there mm. Now, that would be really hard, I think. I wouldn't like that. No, which is another reason why I think the end of May is a good time for it to come out. Not like yes. Right now. Not now. Yeah. Dear God, not now. <laughs> I mean, another couple of weeks, though, and she should be good to go. I mean, mm -hmm. we're right at that line of where, like, theoretically she could be fine if she came out, you know, a couple of weeks from now. I mean, I'm hoping, you know. She can be fine within, like, 22 weeks or... 20 weeks I think fine at 22 weeks is a little bit people mm -hmm. have survived yeah people have survived we're not saying that they were totally fine or that it didn't take like a lot to get them to be yeah. oh, sort of okay we're just saying like people there are, there are some people that are kind of alright mm -hmm. you know I think a lot of people that are born that early have some problems yeah well, you said it's the lungs right Well, the, well that was what I was saying about like right now I think like if you go into preterm labor when you're, like, kind of close, I think the lungs are one of the last things to mature. 
So sometimes they'll give you steroids or something that I think help the baby's lungs to mature a little bit faster, like if they think the baby's going to come out a little bit sooner. Mm -hmm. Like like right now, I think, the danger for her being born, I mean, I think most of her organs and everything have, like, finished forming, so, I mean, she would be in pretty good shape, but, like, I think the lungs just aren't quite ready to, like, breathe yet. Mm Mm-hmm. That's why I think she should stay in. Definitely. Yeah, I know. Staying, I'm very pro staying in. I mean, it's interesting to me, though, because I know a lot of people towards the end of their pregnancy will get very much like, oh, my goodness, I'm so pregnant. I can't wait for this baby to come out. And they'll, like, really be hoping to, like, go into labor. And they're, like, eating spicier foods and taking longer walks and stuff. You know, those are really, like, drawing these going. And, like, to me, that's very interesting because, like, even though I am starting to get to the point where, like, my back aches a little bit and, you know, there is some discomfort starting to arise, I'm still so excited to be pregnant that I don't want this to go any faster than it's already going. I mean, it's such a limited amount of time. Yeah, that- I mean, but that's something that comes along with having children, I feel like, is time- the speed of time changes because you have something. I, I, the, the thing I have determined is that it's mostly because you have something to base the passage of time on when when you're a single person or when you're just a person with another person that's an adult you don't really have the passage of time to like to to worry about as much because like when i see him you know i'm like you know i'm i i i I base the passage of time on him yes and i mean for me too especially since he was born on my birthday it's from, you know, every time he gets a little older, it's like, I know I've gotten a little older, too. Yeah, it's like, if he's getting older, I, I'm getting older, too. You know, it's like, it's yeah. like I'm not immune from this passage of time the way I once was. I mean, your course, it, it's just a perception, but, like, but you have something to, like, base it on, you know? You're like, right, because, I mean, I remember at the beginning of my pregnancy with him thinking, um, my goodness, nine months is so long. Why can't we just speed through this? I just want to have the baby here. I'm so excited, you know, for the baby to come out so I can meet them and everything. And now I'm just like, I'm so excited for her to come out so I can meet her. Mm-hmm. But I'm also like, I'm really cherishing these last few weeks of just having her like living in my body. Cause that's such a weird thing. And I still don't even understand how there can be like an entire person. that's just like alive inside me. And to just feel her, like, moving around and stuff in there, mm-hmm. you know. And it is such a short thing. And once she comes out, she can never go back in. So, you know, I am kind of just enjoying these last few weeks, however however many there are of them. Uh, hopefully exactly four. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do really want her to come, like, in the month of May. I don't want her to, like, hold on too long and come in June. Because then it starts to get a little, you know, then we start to get stressed. <laughs> And I mean, I don't want her to come the day after her due date is our anniversary. And since we already, I already share a birthday with our son, I feel like it would be weird if she then came out on our anniversary. It's probably going to happen. But. <laughs> like, I won't actually be upset if she's born on our anniversary. It's just my preference would be, you know, to pick a different day. Yeah. But, with the, you know, that'll, you know how it's going to go? Yeah. You already know how it's going to happen. Yes. It's going to be on our anniversary. I'll probably go into labor, like, on my due date, and then it'll, it'll be, be like, midnight. Yeah. 12.01, you'll be like, I feel that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Is there anything else that I didn't ask you about? I don't know. I mean, I feel like we talked about so many really random things. <laughs> this has been like a really strange episode. <laughs> but probably the next time we talk, we'll have a little... little yeah, and then you can put a link to however we figure out to how we're going to reveal the name. How are you going to reveal the name? Well, like I said, I don't. I haven't come up with a good idea. I mean, I would PowerPoint like to involve presentation. <laughs> some sort of pyrotechnics, but you know, I only want it to be about six seconds long. So, I don't know. I mean, we need something we can just do immediately because you know, as soon as we tell our parents, they're gonna like post I think on we Facebook need, and like. I think we need to us, so. prepare it before it's like. Time. Yeah, no, that's why I'm talking about this now because I mean, I think when we're done talking here, we should actually make. The thing, and then it'll just be ready to go. I'm feeling this sense of out. urgency. <laughs> I just think if we have that kind of already in the can, that it's like we're ready to release it at a moment's notice. I feel like as soon as we tell anyone in our family, mm-hmm. they're gonna like excitedly post on Facebook, and then that kind of ruins our opportunity to tell people how we want to. So if we have like a special way we want to tell people, we need to like release that simultaneously to. Hour, like calling people to like share the good news, you know. Exactly. Well, thank you for being on the Rob Burgess show again. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, I guess you know where to find me. So. <laughs> I'll let people know. <laughs> no, don't tell. No, don't don't let people know where to find me. You, you know where to find me. It's worse. You prefer to be unfound. <laughs>
you enjoy this podcast, there are several ways to support it. I have a Patreon account, which can be found at www.patreon.com forward slash Rob Burgess Show Patreon. I hope you'll consider supporting in any amount. Also, please make sure to comment, follow, like, subscribe, share, rate, and review the podcast everywhere it's available, which includes iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Facebook, Twitter, Internet Archive, TuneIn, and RSS. It really helps. The official website for the podcast is www.therobburgessshow.com. You can find out more about me by visiting my website, www.thisburgess.com. Until next time.